This is the Intego Mac Podcast, the voice of Mac security, for December 20th, 2017. In this episode, another week, another firmware update from Apple. We'll have the details on what's getting patched. Plus, this time of year, you need to be extra cautious when holiday shopping online. We'll talk about what you need to know about safe web browsing while shopping. The Intego Mac Podcast is presented by Intego, makers of security and utility software, exclusively for Apple products since 1997. Now, here are the hosts of the Intego Mac Podcast, Kirk McElhern and Josh Long. It seems like I'm updating a device a day lately. My Mac, my iPhone, my iPad. Apple just released an update for airport base stations. I don't use an airport base station anymore. I used to. But this is a really important update, isn't it? Yeah, this is. It it patches a couple of pretty big flaws in the uh, firmware for airports. One of them is Broadpone, which is a chipset related issue. And then the one that we've talked about more recently on episode three, we talked about crack. And um, crack is a is a big deal, as, as we mentioned, where local attackers can potentially spy on everything you're doing on your Wi-Fi network if your router is affected by this vulnerability. It took Apple a long time to patch this. Yeah, it's surprising because we talked about this in episode three. It wasn't new then, and that was two months ago. It's worth noting that these airport base stations are, well, they're still being sold, but it's fair to say that they're obsolete. They haven't been updated in so many years that there's really no reason to buy one today unless you absolutely need to integrate an airport base station into an existing airport network. Right. Yeah. What's kind of funny is that um, Apple sort of has kind of been hinting or or just the lack of really saying anything specific about it sort of implies that they're probably phasing out airport and they're they're leaving it around. You can still buy it. But it's not something that Apple has updated for a long time. And to be fair, I mean, not a whole lot has changed really with wireless standards. Um, The Airport Extreme base station has 802.11ac, which is still pretty much considered the, the standard. And they've been selling that for at least five years, if not more. Surprisingly, though, the Airport Express that they sell still doesn't have 802.11ac. It has 802.11n, which is slower. Now... Some people would use the Airport Express to extend their network in a home. And the problem uh, with doing that is if you do that with a router that has 802.11ac, it slows down the entire network to 802.11n. So extending a network with that doesn't really give you much more than distance. It doesn't give you speed in another part of the house. Right. Yeah, you're definitely going to have um, it. Probably in most cases, it's not going to make very much of a difference when it comes to Internet speeds. But if you're moving files over your own local area network, you'd want to have AC speeds everywhere. Yeah. And even if you're streaming HD films from one part of the house to the other, if you've got several people using the network at the same time, 802.11n, I think it maxes out at about eight megabytes per second in, in real world usage. That's what I used to get. So That's not very fast. But this made me realize how many devices we have that need to be updated. You know, I said earlier, my Macs, my iPhone, my iPad, but my Blu-ray player, I bought an amplifier recently and I had to apply a firmware update to it as soon as I got it. You may have, let's say, a home security camera and updating that is really important because you don't want anyone to be able to access it. I've got two of those Philips Hue smart light bulbs in my office and they have firmware of their own. 
I'm not too worried about Tom Cruise turning my lights on and off, but you know, anytime you have a device that connects to the internet, couldn't that be a vector for someone to get onto your network? Yeah, absolutely. I've even heard of vulnerabilities in doorbells and things like that. You know, if you've got a smart doorbell, you got to make sure its firmware stays up to date. So if you don't have a brand that will update its own firmware automatically, then you got to check yourself and, and make sure it's up to date. So, yeah, there's so many different ways that somebody can get onto your network or in some cases, if, if you've got a device that um, is publicly accessible on the Internet, wow, it, it can be pretty scary. We've, I, I don't know if we've mentioned like baby monitors and things like that have been a problem in the past. And uh, you've just got to be so careful with all these Internet of Things devices. So some of them will update automatically. And I think that's the case with Amazon's Echo and Google's Home and, and devices like that. But many of them won't. And baby monitors is a good example because you can have people spying on you and they may just be looking at an empty crib, but they may be able to see that you're not home, which I think is the biggest thing to worry about, that if people want to know when you're home and when you're not. And there are lots of devices like that. You know, Apple's HomeKit, I guess we'd call it a platform. It, it makes it centralizes all of these things on an iPhone or an iPad. You can access devices remotely using HomeKit. Now, it's important to note that the only way HomeKit lets you do this is if you have two-factor authentication activated on the Apple account that's using the device. So it'd be pretty hard to get around that. But, you know, there are other devices that you can access remotely. I had a security camera that someone sent me to review, and I put it near our cat flap. So I called it the cat camera. And I didn't have to do anything special to get remote access. I remember one day we were out and I checked on my phone. It had an app which could show me, you know, a live feed and I could see one of the cats coming through the cat flap. Now, anyone would be able to do that. Obviously, they don't care what my cats are doing. But if you've got that camera in a place that shows that your home is empty, then I think that's a big risk. Yeah, that, that's these are all good points and all things that people should consider. Really, anytime you attach something to your network, you want to make sure that you trust that device and uh, and know whether it updates its firmware automatically. If it doesn't, if you and if you can't find any documentation on that from the manufacturer, hmm, that may be a cause for concern. Okay. Meanwhile, it's almost Christmas, isn't it? Have you done all your Christmas shopping? I think so. But, you know, there's always that last minute item that you forget about. And, oh, shoot, I forgot to get something for my wife. Dang it. How could I forget my wife? <laughs> and and you know what happens? You, you just need that last minute gift for a friend or a colleague. And you've done all your shopping on the big websites. And we won't mention the big one that has the monopoly and, you know, delivers everything to your door and all that. But let's say you're looking for a specific thing. Your wife just has to have a, a, a handbag in a certain color from a certain brand. And and the main sites don't have it. You might be tempted to browse other websites. If you use a search engine, they'll have a shopping link. For instance, on Google, if you search for something, if you look up at the top in the sort of tab bar and you click on shopping, you'll see a number of sites that offer different things for sale. And I'm not saying that this is necessarily dangerous, but you really need to know whether these sites are, are safe and, and what types of risks you run into when you're shopping with them. So I think the first thing to point out is and probably people have gotten familiar with this now, is that little padlock in the browser's address bar. What exactly does that mean? And how do we know that that's secure? Well, in theory, what that means is that you're connected directly to the website of the company that's trying to sell you a product. Most of the time, that's what that little padlock means, is that you're connected directly to them. 
if you're on a company network, it, just something to be aware of is that you may actually have a man in the middle there, an, uh, an organization sponsored man in the middle. So it's not necessarily for malicious purposes, but sometimes some companies will want to kind of monitor what their employees are doing online, what they're searching for and things like that. So in some cases, especially if you're on a work network, you may see a padlock icon and you may actually have a man in the middle there. But um, e even then, it's still it's still generally considered to be um, something that is safe to do. If, you, if you've got a padlock and you trust the site that you're accessing, you're probably in most cases, you're 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 protected from uh, from someone intercepting your traffic, stealing your credit card number and things like that in transit. Right. And so you can see this when you're on a Mac or when you're on an iOS device. Any web browser is going to show this. And this padlock indicates that there is a secure HTTPS connection between you and the website. What exactly does this mean? Well, HTTPS, which stands for Hypertext Transfer Protocol Secure, is a protocol that is kind of an add-on to the basic web protocol. Um, so HTTP was designed so people could access websites. And then as the internet started to develop and people were thinking, you know, these websites could do online shopping. And then others were thinking, well, shouldn't it be kind of a secure connection? Because right now we're just putting in our credit card numbers and things without any sort of protection between my computer and the server that I'm connecting to. And there's all these other computers in between. That's just the way networks work. And so how do we protect that? So HTTPS was born and um, and it's developed over the years and we have more secure protocols that are behind that. Originally there was SSL and now there's TLS, um, which most websites are, are using and that protects you a little bit better there. It's always a cat and mouse game. And so TLS 1.2 is usually the, the protocol behind HTTPS. But what, what that means basically is that they're protecting your traffic from getting intercepted by some bad guy who may happen to come across it in the middle. Well, we're just talking about updates. How do I know if I have TLS 1.2? Oh no, if I only have 1.1, is something, am I at risk? Well, you probably don't need to worry about it. Um, there, there actually are websites where, where you can test a particular domain. Qualys is, uh, is a, a company that has a site where you can put in a .com or whatever it is that, that you're trying to connect to. And they'll tell you the quality of your SSL connection or SSL or TLS connection with that site. But don't be too worried about it. For the most part, if, uh, if you've got a modern operating system, a modern browser, you're pretty well protected. Yeah, that's what I was thinking, that if I keep my Safari up to date or my Chrome or Firefox, then I shouldn't have to worry too much. Right. And, and I would assume that if there's some sort of a vulnerability around this type of thing, It'll make the news. We'll talk about it on the podcast. You'll read about it on the Indigo blog. You'll hear about it all over the place because this is what allows us, as you said, to shop, but also to do our online banking, the websites where you have to prove your identity and logging into specific services at your office. Basically, the entire Internet depends on this. Obviously, we can load a blog without any problem, without having to worry. But once you're sending personal information or sensitive information like a credit card number, then it absolutely has to be secure. Right. That's a good point. And I, I would just say it's getting to the point where you almost want HTTPS everywhere be, because of things like, for example, um, download sites that get, uh, you know, that get compromised and things like that. Um, you don't want 
somebody who happens to get on your Wi-Fi network and figure out a way to be that man in the middle somewhere to um, change the content that you're actually getting from that web page. For example, if you go to a download site and it's it's just HTTP, you have no security there. If there's if if you just have HTTP in the t in the address bar, that could mean theoretically that somebody who is in the middle between you and that web server could change the way that links on that page work, the way it, they could inject code into that page. In fact, there have even been ISPs, internet service providers that have done this. Comcast is one example in the United States where if you go to web pages over HTTP and if you're close to hitting your bandwidth cap with them for the month, they'll inject a little JavaScript into that page so that it will pop up an alert saying, oh, you only have, you know, 10% of your data for the rest of the month. And they actually inject content into pages that are not HTTPS secured. So you got to be careful. The Intego Mac Podcast will continue with more of our discussion on secure web browsing in just about a minute. And if you have any questions or suggestions for topics that you'd like us to cover, send us an email at podcast at intego.com. You're obviously a Mac user who's interested in staying up to date on the latest Mac security news and issues. The best way to do that is to subscribe to the Intego Mac Podcast. And there's one other thing we'd like you to do. Save some money. Right now, Intego Mac Podcast listeners can get 50% savings on Intego software, including Mac Premium Bundle X9. Mac Premium Bundle X9 is a suite of terrific Intego software that includes the antivirus, anti-phishing, and anti-spyware protection of Intego Virus Barrier, home and hotspot firewall security from Intego Net Barrier, parental controls for peace of mind from Intego Content Barrier, and much more to help protect, secure, and organize your Mac. Download the free trial of Mac Premium Bundle X9 from Intego.com today, and then use the promo code Intego Podcast at checkout to save 50%. That's Intego Podcast to save 50% on complete Mac protection and security with Intego's Mac Premium Bundle X9. It's a great time to save 50% on Mac Premium Bundle X9 using the promo code Intego Podcast at checkout. Intego devoted to protecting Apple products since 1997. Visit Intego.com today. So sometimes when I log into a website, I see the little padlock. Sometimes it's green. And then sometimes I see the padlock with the name of a company. I'm going to link to an article on the Intego Mac security blog. It's called Six Cybersecurity Tips for Holiday Shopping Online. And there are some screenshots showing the different browsers and what they look like. And one of them shows a connection to PayPal, where you have the green padlock, and then you have the words PayPal Inc. in green. Now, that's a little bit different than the other ones. What's that about? There's something that's called extended validation, or sometimes you'll hear it called an EV certificate. And what that means is that the company that wanted to get that SSL certificate Basically, anybody can get an SSL certificate these days or TLS. It's, I've got one on my website. Yeah, yeah. And, and anybody can, uh, even Kirk. <laughs> so <laughs> if, 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 if you want to have a secure connection for, for your site, anybody can do that. And in fact, um, there are even companies now where you can go and sign up and get one completely for free. So... Just because you have HTTPS doesn't mean that you are definitely connected to the website that you think that you're connected to. 
Um, it could be, for example, if you've clicked on a phishing link that somebody sent you in an email, they could definitely be using HTTPS and they might have a, an address that looks very similar to the company that you think you're connecting to. So one of the things that um, it has been kind of dreamed up as a possible way to make sure you're connected to the right site is this extended validation. And basically what that means is that the certificate authority, the company that issues these certificates, has to do some additional checking to to see whether you really are who you say you are. Now, this actually was just in, in the news recently where some researchers found ways to kind of trick these certificate issuers into giving uh, these extended validation certificates to a company that was really not a real company. It was just some something that they made up and they made it sound just like the name of a legitimate company that they might be trying to pretend that they are. So there, just because you have an extended validation certificate or that green padlock or green you know name of the company does not even necessarily mean you're really connected to that company, but um, it's something to, to look for if, if you're used to seeing that, make sure you see the thing that you're used to seeing. So, for example, if it normally says PayPal, comma, Inc., make sure it says exactly PayPal, comma, Inc. Because someone could spoof it by putting pay and then P-A and the digit one, and it might look like a lowercase L. Sure. And, and most of the time, the companies that issue these certificates are going to watch for things like that. But but they could say PayPal LLC, for example, and um, and, you know, maybe... Uh, now, PayPal is an example where you would think that companies that are issuing those certificates are going to be really careful and make sure that they know some of these big companies. Um, but anyway, it's something to, to watch out for. So I'm going to link in the show notes to a Wikipedia page about the extended validation certificate. And it explains that the company issuing the certificate has to establish the legal identity and operational and physical presence of the website owner has to establish that the applicant is the domain name owner or controls the domain name and confirm the identity and authority of the individuals acting for the website owner. So let's say you work for a company. That sounds like a lot of checking, but as you say, some of these companies might be willing to cut corners to make money because these certificates aren't expensive. You said you can get an SSL certificate for free. I think I pay $10 a year for mine, but an EV certificate is a lot more expensive than that. Right. That's absolutely true. They, they do cost more. But if someone is really willing to to um, try to trick people and and steal their credit card numbers, well, they might be willing to pay a little more for an EV certificate. So, yes, it's, it's something to watch for, but it's not it doesn't necessarily mean that you have a more secure connection. You've still got the same HTTPS type of connection. It's just a, a, a way that you can try to verify the identity of the company that you're connected to. Right. And if you're out there to scam people, an EV certificate only costs you a few hundred dollars a year. And you're more than willing to invest a few hundred dollars a year to create a website that is going to be, let's say, slightly deceptive and, and, and with a name that would look like something else. So so you do need to be careful. And, and that's another good reason why if you see a link, let's say you see a link to PayPal, and I'm not picking on PayPal, but I think it's a good example Let's say you see a link to PayPal from a website. You want to make sure it's really going to paypal.com when you click on it, because what you see is the link on a web page obfuscates what's underneath, which is the actual web address. So you need to keep your eyes open. Uh, obviously, this isn't really a problem if you're shopping on Amazon or the other big websites. 
but you know, a few days from Christmas and you just have to get that special Lego set for your kid, then you might be tempted to try out some other sites. So make sure they're safe. Now, there's another thing that's that's useful to know is that you are protected if you pay with PayPal. You're protected generally if you pay with a credit card. If it turns out to be a fraudulent site, you go to the credit card company or to PayPal, and you'll generally not have any problems canceling the charges. But it's better to avoid that kind of hassle. Another tip that we put in this article is to use secure passwords, and we'll refer you to episode six, Passwords Are Hard, where we went over everything you need to know about passwords. Another tip is don't shop on public Wi-Fi networks. Do we really need to be that scared of open Wi-Fi? Yes. Oh, okay. Well, it, it, here, here's why. So Tom Cruise is in every Starbucks. I know. Just, just in case Tom Cruise is at your Starbucks, you want to make sure that you're doing everything that you can to secure your connection. Now, a lot of you know restaurants, coffee shops, other public places like that will have an open Wi-Fi network, and what that means is that you can just select it. There's no password required and you're on the network. What that means is that there is no security. There is nothing to prevent somebody who's on your local network from sniffing that traffic, from basically spying on you and seeing exactly what you're doing unless you have a secure connection to a website. Even then, if you didn't have to put in a password to connect to that network, you should be a little bit concerned about that. You may want to use a VPN. A virtual private network. Yeah, virtual private network. Um, and there, there are lots of um, different VPN services out there. If you do use a VPN, of course, you want to make sure you're using a trusted VPN provider because, of course, they can then see all of the traffic that you're tunneling through them. We're going to do an episode about virtual private networks in the near future. Yeah, I, I, th I think that's absolutely a great idea um, because VPNs are a whole other topic. But if you are in, uh, using a public Wi-Fi network, you, you at least want to make sure you're using a VPN to tunnel all of your Internet traffic through that. OK, now you talked about a network being open. But even if the network is open, if I put my credit card number in my browser, it's going to be encrypted when it's sent to a website, isn't it? Yes. W what you do want to be careful about, though, is you don't always know what type of security that they're using at this public Wi-Fi hotspot. So even if you do have to put in a password, still be cautious. Because if, for example, um, they're using the WEP uh, which stands for wired equivalent privacy. If they're if they're using that Wi-Fi protocol, it's completely insecure, and you may as well be connecting to a network that has no password, no security at all. So, um, so just because you had to put in a password to connect to a Wi-Fi network, you should not assume that it's completely safe to use. Okay. So another tip in in this article is don't buy from websites you've never heard of. Now, I'm of two minds about this because every once in a while I do buy something from a website I haven't heard of. I bought a lens for one of my cameras earlier this year and I shopped around and I found one website had a better price. And of course, I looked into it. It was an established camera company that had been around for a while. On the other hand, I could have bought the same lens from a company that has a fancy website but is actually in Hong Kong and ships what's called gray market products, which mean that these are they're sometimes called international versions of products where you don't get the actual warranty and you can get as much as 20 or 30 or 40 percent off on certain items, mainly electronics. But I didn't want to go that route. So how can we really know? And, and this is this goes beyond computer security. But what's the best way to find out if a website you come across in a Google search if it's reputable? Hmm, that, that's a really good question. Um, 
some companies may have, for example, a Better Business Bureau profile, or there, there's other consumer review type websites and things like that, where you can check up on a company and see whether they have a good reputation. Um, that's probably one way to do that. Um, you, you definitely want to make sure if you do that, that you're actually uh, establishing a link between that website that you're connected to with that dot com or whatever and the actual company that you think that you're you know that that you're researching for example you go to some consumer protection or consumer review site um, you want to make sure that it says the same dot com that you're actually connected to yeah going back to photography again since i'm interested in photography i've noticed on photo forums people will occasionally post a question saying is this a legitimate seller is this a legitimate website and some people will say, yes, of course. And others will say, well, I had a problem with it. And again, a lot of these are these gray market sites where you don't know exactly what you're getting, where it may look like it's shipping from your country. But if you have a problem, you have to return it. All of a sudden, you're paying to ship it back to Hong Kong and you have to insure it. And that's going to cost a lot of money. So again, I think the protection of PayPal or credit card is very helpful. Another way is eBay. Now, I know that there are lots of eBay scams that you should really be careful about. In fact, we should do a show about eBay and PayPal and Craigslist scams. But in general, if you're buying from a reputable eBay seller and you can look at their feedback rating to see, eBay will guarantee what you have spent or what you're selling if you're a seller yourself. Right. There are some protections in place there. And, and eBay does make it pretty easy to tell how popular a particular seller is. Sellers have feedback, so you can see, do they have 100% positive feedback? Do they have 90 plus percent positive? And you can see how many times they've gotten feedback. So if it's, if, if it's a seller who has you know near 100% positive feedback and um, they've sold thousands of items, you can be pretty sure that that's um, a, a reputable or fairly reputable seller and that um, you'll, you'll probably get what you think you're going to get. Just it's still a good idea to look at the reviews of that seller because um, there, especially with eBay, there is kind of this thing where people kind of feel bad about leaving negative feedback or some some people kind of, you know, think that, oh, I don't want to hurt that person's reputation or whatever. And so uh, if it's not 100 percent, definitely look at, at the, the recent um, reviews of that seller. Yeah. And one of the problems with eBay is that they don't have a star rating system. It's either good or bad. You can't say give someone four stars because everything's fine, but it took longer than it should have or something like that. So if you're unhappy in any way, you have to give them a bad review and the bad reviews may not be as bad as they seem. Yeah, it's when you're giving somebody feedback on eBay, they um, they they do let you pick kind of a, a one to five star rating um, for certain parts of the experience, but you still have to pick an overall positive, negative, or neutral. Exactly. Okay, one last tip, and again, this is nothing to do with security, but this is something that I've discovered over the years that if you're looking for a specific item, go to another web browser to the same website and check the price. Because a lot of companies these days will display different prices for existing users. Let's say you're logged into an account on Amazon. And I will use Amazon as an example because they are a company that does this. If you're logged into your account, they may display a price to you that would be lower for someone who's not logged into an account. Then they're assuming that that second person is new to Amazon and they want to attract them with a lower price. So if you go to another browser and it's not just Amazon, you see a different price put it into your shopping cart, then log in and they can't change the price that you just added to your shopping cart. 
there's this whole dynamic pricing thing that's going on in a lot of areas. It, it's been the norm in airline tickets for a very long time, but a lot of companies are testing it with online sales. That's really interesting to me because I, um, although it doesn't surprise me that companies are doing this, I haven't personally observed that, but maybe that's partly just because, you know, I shop in the browser that I'm used to shopping in. Um, but yeah, that's that's a really interesting idea to see um, if you're getting the best price, just try it in a different browser or try it on, uh, if, if you're used to shopping on your desktop computer or laptop, try shopping on your mobile device or vice versa. And the thing is, even if you just log out of your account, there's still a cookie on your computer or your device that's going to identify you to the website. That's why using a different browser is useful. You can, of course, just delete all your cookies and then try again or use a private browsing session, in which case your cookies won't apply. But yeah, I've seen this a number of times and, and there are specific types of products where this is more common than others. Hotels, for example, my partner and I wanted a hotel room in London a few months ago, and I looked on one device and the price was, I don't remember, 200 something pounds. And then I looked later on my iPad and it was down to like 180. And I think the difference was that on the first one, I came through my Mac and I had gone through one of these sites like TripAdvisor before I went to the hotel's website. And on the second one, I went directly to the website. So the, the pricing is fluid. And it's always useful to check in another browser. Obviously not if you're buying a book or a CD or a DVD, but if you're buying anything expensive, you might find that you'll save more money that way. I don't know about you, but we're almost up to Christmas. And so let's wish everyone Merry Christmas and Happy Holidays and stay secure. Yes, Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays, stay secure. Thanks for listening to the Intego Mac Podcast with your hosts, Kirk McElhern and Josh Long. To get every episode, be sure to subscribe at Apple Podcasts or in your favorite podcast app. Your comments and questions are welcome. Please feel free to send email correspondence to podcast at intigo.com. We may use your question on a future episode. Links to topics and information Kirk and Josh mentioned in the podcast can be found in the show notes for the episode at podcast.intigo.com. The Intego website is also where you'll find details on the full line of award-winning Intego security and utility software, intego.com.